Ephesians 2, verses 13 to 22. The Apostle Paul tells the Ephesian church, But now in Christ Jesus, you who were once far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances, that he might create in himself one new man in place of the two, so making peace and might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. And he came and preached peace to you who were once Uh, You who were far off and peace to those who were near. For through him we both have access in one spirit to the Father. So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. Built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone, in whom the whole structure being joined together, grows into a holy temple in the Lord, in whom you also are being built into a dwelling dwelling place for God by the Spirit. Lord, thank you that the truth of this passage is true of us today, that, Jesus, you have taken care of our greatest need, and that was that we were enemies of you. And you overcame Uh, our pride and our rebellion to your authority and rule over our lives and you came and joined us to yourself. And then what we see is that you have joined us to one another as fellow, (coughs) fellow citizens in your house. Lord, we are in need of a reminder today to, to know how we are to behave as the household of God how to be a light in the midst of darkness and how to hope, how to shine with a hope that the world can see. We love you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. When we've been in the body of Christ long enough, you probably have reasons to avoid relationships with people in the body of Christ. We've been burned We've suffered mistreatment, we've endured lies, been manipulated, and now we might be at a place of just feeling like the hurt is not worth the investment. And so church, I I today have a burden for us as a church in the midst of what we're walking through. Because when we have Uh, when we have suffered through and we have (coughs) borne the burdens of others in relationships that proved too little fruit for the amount of work that's involved in investing in those relationships, we find ourselves in a weary place. And coupled with the season of life uh, that's been forced, that's forced some isolation, we can now easily look to continue our social distancing to the very categories that God desires to advance his kingdom through us. God has claim on our relationships. He has removed the deepest, the highest, the widest barriers 
that seek to separate and divide us. What Paul was writing into was a, a three-foot wall that separated in the temple courts, separated the place that the Jews could go and the Gentiles needed to stay behind. A three-foot wall. But the Jews were acting as if that three-foot wall was 300 feet. And they were saying, you don't belong in here. You are not of Israel. You don't have the right lineage. You don't have the right paperwork. You don't have the right belief system. Paul is saying... Jesus took that, what in reality is small, but in feeling was very high, in perception was very high, Jesus took it and annihilated it in himself to bring two people together, two people that have different views about life, two people that have different experiences of life. And God, in his wisdom, he brings people together and now make up the church. And there, is, there are people in the church that we would not go out and find on the street and develop a relationship with because we're just not alike. And one of the, one of the precious aspects of being the church is that we now are in relationship and in fellowship with other people that we don't see everything the same way with on purpose. God designed it that way. He designed it, two reasons. One, so we could experience his love in the different perspectives that are, are represented within the church. Excuse me. <coughs> so we can experience his love through the different types of relationships that we have in the church and to refine us so we shine with Jesus' love brighter. So that's where we're like, yeah, everybody in the church, yeah. God continues to advance his kingdom by gathering the lost and broken and connecting them to his church. And he has some expectations for his children to get along with in the same house. And my concern for church in general, but specifically our church, is that this season of life when we were online only and then we could only have so many people in the church at a time uh, through the remainder of last year, uh, it's created some habits in us that I think too much resemble older teens in a house. Remember back when you were an older teen, when you were approaching that second half of your senior year of high school and you couldn't wait to get out. Just... I, wanted, I just need to skate by. I just need to do what I, I need to show up at dinner. I need to engage in relationships just to the minimal amount, just to slide through to where freedom really results. Now, my concern for us is that the, the past year of our lives in the, the tumult that's occurred, it's caused us within our relationships in the body of Christ, uh, specifically this church, to just kind of do the minimal. Just, just kind of get by. Just, I, I'm, I'm showing up when I need to show up. I'm saying the right things, and I'm seeing the people that need, I need to see my parents that I need to connect with. And, but we're really not engaged with the family. So my, my hope for us today in, in reminding us, in God reminding us how we are built and geared for and 
his claim on relationships that we have within the church, with him and with one another, will cause us to re-engage our love for the church. We don't want to just simply keep some minimal, minimal requirements of engagement <coughs> while spending time in our little rooms looking for a, an escape or just waiting for Jesus to return. Here's a, our, our big caption. I have seven reminders about relationships in our lives, but here's our big caption. We are in need of renewing our commitment to the relationships that God has called us to so we can serve in those and enjoy the fruit of kingdom advancement. Because God uses relationships in the church to advance his kingdom. So here are seven reminders about relationships. Number one, God exists in relationship. He is a communal God that welcomes others into his pure and holy fellowship based on the sacrifice of his son and our faith in that sacrifice. He uses relationships within his community, now us with the Father, Son, and Spirit. He uses those relationships as a crucial mechanism for his kingdom to advance into our hearts and lives, into our hearts and into the lives of unbelievers. So number one, God exists in relationship. Two, God saved you for relationship. God saved you to enjoy his fellowship directly by the presence of the Holy Spirit inside of us through salvation. When we repent of our sins and trust Jesus for salvation, we're not trusting in our own works or performance. We're trusting in all that Jesus did for us. He lived our life, died our death, so we could have his resurrection life. Now, we, we experience his loving relationship directly through the presence of the Spirit that's made to dwell in us. Now, he also wants you to enjoy his fellowship indirectly through the relationships of the church. This is where we hesitate because we don't like everybody in the church. We know who we like, we don't, and, and we know who we don't get along with. And we can find ourselves waiting for those people that we don't get along with either to get some right thought going or just to be sanctified a little more, be a little more like Jesus in your thought and behavior before I'm going to connect with you and reach out to you and engage you in a relationship. Remember, Remember who God saved when he saved you. The proud, miserable, self-righteous, manipulative, idolatrous, idolatrous wretch that every one of us were. That's who he saved. Now, God didn't wait for us to wash up before capturing us with his love. He captured us with his love. And then through his love, he washes us up. He sanctifies us. So we can't be guilty of treating people in the church a way that God doesn't treat them because a lot of times we will interact with folks uh, wanting them to do a little more in order for us to feel better about engaging them or feel safer about engaging them. God doesn't do that. He just loves. And through his pure love, he makes us pure and holy. Just remember, and if, I was thinking of uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 1, that God didn't choose the smartest, the wisest, and the best looking in the world to represent him in the world. Who did he choose? The unwise, the poor, the forgotten, the last pick on the playground. That's who God chose. 
So we are all the last pick on the playground. Every single one of us. Just sitting around, like, does anybody love me? And God says, I'll take you. All right, I guess I'll be on God's team. Nobody else wants me. But what a team God puts together that way. See, we tend to measure ourselves with others in the body of Christ based on our knowledge and success in the Christian life. And it sneaks in. We know more, we've experienced more, or we just have a type of relationship with God that we want others, the people that we interact with, we want others to have that type of interaction so we can all get along. But that's not how God does it, church. In his view, we all need work. We all need a lot of work. So we're all in the same boat. And we all need the love that comes through those relationships. So number three, we need to see others as Jesus sees them. So we, God's in relationship. He saves us for relationship. And we need to see others like Jesus sees them. Uh, in, the, in the Gospels, we see three categories of people that Jesus sees. He sees the lost sheep. He sees the wandering sheep. And he, he sees the sheep in the fold. And those who are in the fold, he sees through eyes of redemption. He sees them for what the cross has won for them. He sees them as righteous. So Jesus looks upon every one of us who are genuinely saved. He sees us as righteous as having never, ever committed a sin. Jesus does not see us through eyes of performance. He does not see us through eyes of temperament. Or, or, and he does not see us in terms of a compatibility. He just doesn't look at us that way. He sees everyone as righteous. We then, in our relationships within the church, need to see everyone in the body of Christ through the, that lens of redemption. We need to look at someone else and see them as that. You, you are someone Jesus died for. So that it tempers any irritation. It tempers, I might still have to deal with some irritation, but it tempers it. Because it puts it in a realm of, all right, Jesus died for you. He chose you. You're wretched. I'm a little more in touch with that, more than myself. I need to remind myself of my own wretchedness to be able to say, Jesus chose me too. All right, that, that, that helps me frame thoughts on how to interact with you, how to get along with you. No matter our irritation level or temperaments, we need to see each other as God sees us, redeemed, righteous, one for whom Jesus on the cross was thinking about and dying for to secure resurrection life. Reminder number four, our relationships are to be marked by love. This is what Jesus said in John 15. This is my commandment that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, that someone laid down his life for his friends. <clears throat> you are my friends if you do what I command you. No longer do I call you servants, for the server does not know what his master is doing, but I have called you friends. For all that I have heard from my father I have made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit should abide so that whatever you ask the father in my name, he may give it to you. 
These things I command you so that you will love one another. All right, a little sandwich there. We got love at the beginning of that paragraph and love at the end of the paragraph. So let's look at Jesus' flow of thought. What makes up that love hamburger? What makes up that love sandwich here? Loving relationships grounded in self-sacrifice. Greater love is no one than he laid down his life for his friend. That experience intimacy with God. I don't call you servants anymore. I call you friends. Resulting in fruitfulness in life. That you should bear fruit and that fruit would remain. But also fruitfulness in prayer. That when you ask God for something, when you ask the Father for something, he will give it to you. Let's follow this. God uses loving relationships to advance his kingdom. This also means that when we have dysfunctional church relationships, we will be unfruitful in life and in prayer. Jesus also gives instructions on what we're to do when we have issues with one another that affect our spiritual lives. We are to go to them. Matthew 5, so if you are offering your gift at the altar... And there remember that your brother has something against you. Leave your gift there before the altar and go. First be reconciled to your brother and then come and offer your gift. Jesus pointing out to his disciples, your relationships affect your worship. So in order to clear that mechanism in your relationship with God, if you know somebody has something against you, talk it out. Go. Don't act as if everything's okay with God when there's something that, that's hampering life a fruitful life and, and fruitful work and fruitful prayer. Jesus says, go, pursue them. Don't wait for them to come to you. Don't wait for some performance for them to get to you in order for you to engage them with affection or even a listening ear. He says, go, reach out. Dysfunctional spiritual relationships hinder spiritual growth. And way too many people in the body of Christ are harboring bitterness and unforgiveness toward one another and limping through their spiritual lives, acting as if that's normal when Jesus has said there's a race that's set before us that we should be running in. But we end up thinking that the limp is the walk that we have. And we just have to either grin and bear it or it's my cross. Our relationships are too important to be ignored. Now there's a difference. Well, I've heard uh, just many years in the church. I, I prayed to receive Christ when I was 11 years old. I've been in uh, a gospel preaching church since I was nine years old. And many times through the years, I've heard People make a distinction between love and like in the body of Christ. Saying this, it's so, it, we have to love everybody within the church, but we don't have to like everybody in the church. I understand where that sentiment comes from. Loyalty is more important than friendship. I understand that. It's true that we, we don't have or, and we should not have the ex expectation that we should be buddy-buddy with everybody in the church. That's just unrealistic but when we make sure we don't hide behind a uh, I love you but I don't like you so I'm just never going to engage you in relationship at all I think that breaks down the feeling of like is closely linked to enjoyment we like those 
we get enjoyment from. So if I don't get enjoyment from you, I don't like you. I'm loyal to you within the Christian community. Um, It's cool, but I just don't get any enjoyment from you, so I'm not going to talk to you. But just remember, I think Jesus really likes everybody that he loves. And I think what that translates into is for us, we should be able to genuinely enjoy others we don't always click with or get along with. There are moments where we should be, I think the distinction would be don't avoid those types of relationships because you don't know what type of blessing might be there. Now, if there's a history in a relationship where there's been either mistreatment, manipulation, lies, there's wisdom in going about walking together, doesn't mean that everything has to go back to the way it was. There's wisdom with that. God provides understanding for how we should walk through that. But I'm talking about you look across the church after a message and after a Sunday gathering, you're just like, I don't like that dude. I don't know, something about him. I don't like him. We've we got to be careful with those thoughts. Because if we don't challenge them in the moment, the next Sunday and the next Sunday, and then all of a sudden we're in a small group with them, and it's building. That's bitterness. That's a root of bitterness. And it's unfounded because you have no reason. You just don't like, you don't like an opinion or you don't like the, how, how they look. So you're making a determination about who they are based on something that God doesn't see because he sees them as righteous. My son died for that person. We're like, I don't like the way he laughs. I mean, we just are fickle like that. We have to challenge those thoughts in order for us to have the unity that God seeks for us to have to express, feel, and express his love. All right, number five. Our relationships are to shine with hope in a dark world. The church is to be a redemptive community in the middle of a cancel culture. The relationships we experience in church should be a reflection of reconciliation when broken things are put back together. Our cancel culture that we exist in leaves no room for restoration. No room for reconciliation. When someone sins with one of the culture's deadly sins, they are canceled forever. And now the church needs to be able to be a light in a safe place that we mess up. You know, people come looking for the church to be heaven when in reality it's a hospital. We're all just trying to figure out how in the world do I put on Christ? How do I put on Jesus? How do I deny myself, take up my cross, and follow Jesus every single day? That's, that's the boat we're in. So the community of Christ, the body of Christ needs to be a place that when we, when we sin, we don't feel like we have to run and hide. And depending on sin, we, we grieve over that and there's a process of walking through because we feel shamed and guilty and we, we don't want to feel that way. And so, but listen, God uses the church to help you get over your sin. And if we run and hide, isolate ourselves because of shame, 
We're actually allowing the devil to have more influence over us than the church and the relationships that God wants to have, uh, wants us to have in order for kingdom to advance, the peace and love of Christ to advance in our hearts and then through us. Our broken world doesn't know how to mend brokenness. The body of Christ should be really good at that because only God mends broken hearts and relationships. The church should be a place where it's safe when we mess up in sin. We stand for holiness. We seek proper and appropriate reconciliation and the restoration of character, witness, and relationships. There's wisdom that goes about it, but the underlying sense we all should have is this is a place where you can mess up we still love you we still love you I personally know that deeply deeply we must not cancel one another when we're sinned against when we're offended and all too often I think we resemble the the culture rather than the community of Jesus when we just say, I just don't need to talk to you ever again. That's fine. Not what Jesus says. If you know somebody's got something against you, you go, you talk, you listen. You bear with one another. Ephesians 4, I therefore, prisoner of the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit, in the bond of peace. Colossians 3, 12 and 13. Put on then, as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another. And if you have a complaint against another, forgiving each other. As the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. Listen, that's written to churches in relationship in diversity of relationship, that God had saved them from their different contexts and brought them together to be the house of God. So all that humility, meekness, kindness, patience, where are those applied? Not first unbelievers, not your brothers and sisters in Christ. That's who that's applied to. And remember how many times we're to forgive in a day? Peter, how many times should I do my brother? Seven? It's a lot. I mean, if it's eight times the same sin, that's it. No, you're gone. Jesus says, no, 70 times seven. What did he mean? 490, 490 times in a day. Where did that come from? That came from God's forgiveness of the nation of Israel that ignored the Sabbaths. The Sabbath year, when every seventh year, when the year uh, the land was to rest in order to heal, when it's production of fruit, the people said, "No, no, 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 no! The earth works for us. God, yeah, I know you got a good idea. I'm going to do my own." And for 490 years, they neglected the Sabbaths, and God forgave them. But what Jesus is saying is, you know how many times to forgive in a day? As many times as God forgives you in a day. That's how many times. Jesus also has something to say about our relationships outside the church. That we must be strategic for gospel witness. And there, we are to be light shining with hope in a dark world. And that means we, we still have relationship with unbelievers. But Jesus said to his disciples, I'm sending you out as sheep in the midst of wolves. So be wise as serpents and innocent as doves. 
We're to be wise. We're to be shrewd when it comes to interacting with unbelievers. We are to be innocent, pure, and holy as an example of Jesus on the earth. So the church shouldn't look to unbelievers for relief and rescue. We should not look to unbelievers for relief and rescue in a world that hates God. The church also should not be surprised when unbelievers don't stand up to defend the church. We, are not, we should not be surprised by that. God defends the church. So our hope is not in Supreme Court justices. Our hope is not in an administration that occupies the White House or the Capitol building. Our hope is in Jesus. And we shine with that hope in a, in a world that hates God. He defends the church, he preserves the church, and he advances the church. He's been doing a really good job of it. Very good job. God didn't get like special uh, uh, people with us. Like, wow, when I get you, oh, the gospel's going to go really fast. Nope, last pick. Last pick. So spiritually uncoordinated. You roll that ball to me, I miss it. Because I'm just spiritually uncoordinated. I need Jesus' love. That's all of us. And we're to shine together in our relationships. So Jesus can be preeminent. Number six. Maintain biblical expectations for relationships. I think much of the letdown and deterioration of relationships within the church arises out of unbiblical criteria for how others should act toward you and how you are acting toward others. We need to review what we expect of others in the body of Christ because our personal desires for others to interact with us rise out of a level of expectation that when unmet, we withdraw or accuse. Biblical expectations for others are for them to honor Jesus and submit to his rule and reign over their lives. So our desire for one another is to make sure, is Jesus your king? And are you obeying him in everything? That's our expectation. But it begins to shift when all of a sudden we pay pay more attention to what we've put into the relationship than we're getting out of it. But that's not what God does with us. The biblical expectation for ourselves in relating to others is to serve them without expecting anything in return. When we start to pay attention to what we've done that hasn't been returned, we have elevated our own expectations in place of God's expectations. God's expectation is for people to be holy before Jesus and love Him and me to serve. Nope. My expectation now is Uh, Do I have your acceptance? Because that's really the criteria that I'm judging my relationship in the church is so I see a group of people and I want to be in that group. Am I accepted by that group of people? Because church, every time we chase acceptance, we never have it. Ever. So we look to our, our relationships to give us approval. We look to our relationships to give us security. We look to our relationships to give us worth. Our identity becomes wrapped up in that relationship. And what we've done is taken God's expectations and put them aside. We've elevated our own personal feelings and desires to a biblical standard that will always be unmet. Because we cannot look for others to provide what only God can. He's the only one that provides lasting acceptance, grounded approval, everlasting security, and an identity in Jesus that's rock solid. 
and can never be shaken. Only God gives those things and we are then to love one another into experiencing those in their relationship with God. We need to develop good friendship skills. Two things, reach out and listen well. Don't look for the first opportunity to get your word in and be able to leave a conversation without talking about yourself. Now that's not to make everybody like all weirded out. Like if I ask you how you're doing and all of a sudden you turn it on me, how are you doing? I can't, I can't talk about myself. Be disobeying. Can't do that. No. It just means don't look for the opportunities like, oh, I gotta talk to you because I, I just need to tell you stuff about me. It's draining and that's maybe one reason people are avoiding you. Be careful. Keep it 100. Number seven. Number seven, refusal to invest in relationships halts kingdom advancement. We are to lean into relationships within the church, and the work is worth it to exalt Jesus, which our joy is wrapped up in that exaltation. When we exalt him, he draws men to him. He draws our hearts to him as he's exalted. But in this day, our comfort level needs to be challenged. Comfort in avoiding the effort to gather on Sundays and comfort in avoiding irritating people in a community group. Our comfort level needs to be challenged, maybe before our commitment level, because I think our comfort is, is uh, intercepting, interrupting our commitment. We, we need to hear the perspectives of others. And we need to be patiently humble with their growth. Hebrews 10. Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain, that is, through his flesh, and since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith, with a heart sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who has promised is faithful. And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting, not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. When we view a Sunday morning gathering as optional, based on how we feel that day, based on how busy of a day we had on Saturday, we're refusing the grace that God has for us to experience within the church. And I say refusing on purpose. I choose that, that, that word purposefully. Because we back into Sunday mornings as, you know, oh, just life has been a little crazy. I'll just watch it this week. We back into it as if we, we don't have really control over it. Remember what I said last week? God has dibs on our time. And we do exactly what we want to do. And we need to make sure that watching something, watching a service, watching a gathering on Sundays, we're, we're happy to provide that. We are spending money to upgrade and make it to where it's not irritating to the ears. We, we're, we're trying to help with that. 
But please hear, we don't want comfort level to replace commitment. God wants us to be with one another, to love one another, and to experience his love. So I'll say it plainly, you need the church. You need Sunday morning church. And you need community group, which will be starting up in a couple weeks. Milton Murray's is starting this Tuesday. You need fellowship and the relationships within the body of Christ. You cannot walk out the Christian life without them. It is... It's a lie from Satan to convince Christians, to, to tempt them and convince them that they really don't need the people. They just need the Bible and the Holy Spirit. Yeah, you need the Bible, you need the Holy Spirit, and you need the people of God. So God says. You need the church, and the church needs you. There should never be a time where you show up here or in community group that you're backing into that as if you have nothing to offer. Because by, by your not being engaged with that process, you're just checking off something, minimal requirements, just trying to get out of this deal. If you're showing up that way, the kingdom will not advance in somebody else's heart that God wants you to prompt and stir up to love and good deeds. So before we show up on a Sunday or a community group, we consider how to stir up one another. We don't consider much. We just kind of live. We need to consider how to do that. It means we're praying through and we're strategic about, you know, they, they had this prayer request last time. If I can just follow up with that, possibly the Lord would give me a scripture. Possibly the Lord would give me a, an insight into their a dream that would somehow help them communicate that God's with them in that moment. We need to be open for that kind of stuff. But if we're just, if we're backing into these things because we're, we're more in touch with our comfort than our commitment, the kingdom will not advance. There should be a healthy tension between God calls us to advance his kingdom and we have responsibility and we do obey that and, and the tension of if we don't, Jesus, the rocks will cry out. If we won't do it, he'll just get rocks to do it. There should be a healthy tension that God needs me and he doesn't need me. Can't rest on, God's just going to do what he's going to do. Now, when we know the truth about God, when we know the sovereignty of God, we know how he calls us to be part of what he's doing, we're eager. I'm eager to be a part of what God's doing. I'm eager to see his exaltation in somebody else's heart. And I'm eager to experience the joy when, when lights go on in that person, in that meeting, like, wow, that was so cool. Or that prayer time was so wonderful. Consider. We need the diversity of the church. We need the reward of the church in the triumphs of our lives and in the trials of our lives. We need that mixture of sin and grace in our relationships. We need the work of relationships so we can see Jesus. We need to rekindle the worth of those relationships in the body of Christ. So what my, my desire, call, challenge for us all is to re-engage with the church. 
Please don't settle for the allure of comfort. Physical comfort. Staying in on a rainy or cold day. Just catch it online. And don't settle for the allure of emotional comforts. I'm just, I'm just weary of investing because I don't want to be hurt again. When we think of Jesus, he keeps on loving us through everything. And he calls us now to be an example, to be a reality of that, so the lost can see it. So we really are shining <clears throat> in a dark world with the brilliant hope that we have in Christ. That's what he calls us to. Let's pray. Lord, reminders are helpful, but we need the power of your Spirit to make these actual. But I ask right now that you would remind us in this moment of people in the church through our, our Christian lives that have been indispensable, that we recognize you used that person in a way that, my, that changed my life forever. God, we thank you for those people. Thank you for how they loved us when we sinned. We didn't want to obey God. And they came after us and pursued us. Thank you how they showed up in the deepest valleys of our lives. Thank you how they rejoice with us in all the triumphs. I hope for many of us, God, many people are coming to mind. Many people are being listed in our minds. You're recalling them for us. How you use the body of Christ to promote kingdom advancement and spiritual growth in us. And God, I ask now, by the power of your spirit that we would be able to commit to be that for somebody else. Lord, challenge our comfort levels again by your gentle kindness that comes to us. Challenge our comfort level again so we can be the church and enjoy the fruit and the reward being the church we commit God we will be that we want to be that for others in the body of Christ but we need your power to do it please empower us Holy Spirit well up rivers of living water well up with inside of us please in this moment and that we continue with the assurance that as we're trusting you, you will provide and you will show up in the relationships in this church. Grow us.